Show me a chicken, and I'll show you a dinosaur. A tiny, hyper-intelligent dinosaur piloting that chicken from inside a state-of-the-art cockpit. Welcome to the Crypto Naturalist. Thou was not born for death, immortal bird. No hungry generations tread thee down. The voice I heard this passing night was heard in ancient days by emperor and clown. Perhaps the selfsame song that found a path through the sad heart of Ruth when, sick for home, she stood in tears amid the alien corn. The same that oft times hath charmed magic casements opening on the foam of perilous seas and fairy lands forlorn. That, of course, is a stanza from John Keats' famous poem, Aunt Ruth and the Corn from Mars. While the poem is primarily concerned with intergalactic agriculture, it also gives an apt nod to our feathered friends. Yes, what poetic soul doesn't swell with inspiration at the very sight of a bird on the wing? Whether you're an avid bird watcher, a casual bird glimpser, or a stubborn bird denier, you have to admit that the very idea of unaided flight invokes a dizzying sense of unimaginable freedom in the human mind. From cedar waxwing to peregrine falcon, the stewards of the great blue yonder are some of nature's most spectacular children. This week's wanderings have taken me to Oregon's Sky Lake Wilderness, a stretch of pristine forest that lies along southern Oregon's Cascade Range from Crater Lake National Park southward to Route 140. Picture a mountainous landscape of gray rock, dense pine, and clear lakes reflecting the limitless sky above. Sky Lake. What an appropriate named location to hunt for that rarest of avian specimens, the orbital kingfisher. Like some of its earthbound cousins, the orbital kingfisher is said to dive into fresh water to catch its prey. Unlike its cousins, however, the orbital kingfisher begins that dive from the inky vacuum of space, high above Earth's atmosphere. Moreover, there is some speculation among crypto-naturalists that these birds also fish in stranger rivers and lakes beyond the bounds of our waking world. I found a suitably seldom-traveled gravel road just wide enough for Cassandra and I drove the winding track upwards into a thick, sloping pine wood of mountain hemlocks. It was a stormy afternoon, and the wind seethed through the boughs, making the trees roll and roil like a verdant sea alive with cresting waves. The crunch of the gravel and the boom of the thunder lent percussive weight to the hissing melody of the breath of the mountainside. Cassandra rocked in the wind, and the driving rain turned my windshield into an abstract watercolor of green and gray, intermittently lost in blinding white flashes of lightning. 
I flicked on the heater and drank in the ozone smell of the storm mingling with the fresh scents of earth and pine. My drive ended as the road ended. The gravel path terminated at the foot of a ten-foot-tall chunk of rose quartz pocked with what appeared to be hundreds of tiny keyholes, each one oozing a dark liquid that stung the eyes as much as the nose. I could smell the chemical tang of that liquid even from my driver's seat. These sorts of things are pretty common in the Pacific Northwest, so I ignored it and got back to the task at hand. Some distractions steal only your time, others steal things a bit more vital. The patter of rain on the hood of my Winnebago switched to a metallic tinkle as a localized torrent of tiny brass keys began to rain just in front of the stone. I muttered my regrets to the Duke of Keys that I didn't have time for a visit today and continued about my business. It's always a little insulting to be mistaken for a tourist, but I took it in stride. Speaking of dangerous distractions... How about a little poetry? It's time for this week's Hidden Lore segment. Today's Hidden Lore is a poem from Leslie J. Anderson. You continue to grow after your death. Not just your hair or nails, but you. The unquantifiable and vaguely midnight blue idea of you. Full of tiny holes through which the killing fire of the universe winks like a party clown. Even chaos can be calculated, and you can be dissected to the most basic part, constant as the universe, smelling of lilies. Lowered into the ground and left beneath the, the end, you will grow into the shape of a sieve, impossibly thin. Infinite, never really whole again, but equivalent. Don't be afraid when you float up toward the top of the universe. That is only your name for it. And when your mind is thin enough that the world leaks free, you'll understand. Or you won't. Be not afraid. The ceiling is growing upward, goes before you like your queen, into the thing we can't conceive. So everything is okay. This poem made me think of a sort of transitive property of death. Death has a becoming rather than an ending. Mortality viewed through the lens of the conservation of matter and energy. As somebody who likes to find the hidden and seek out new pathways, I find this to be a very welcoming image of the great beyond. A hidden track through an unexplored wilderness utterly inaccessible to the living. Now, that sounds like an adventure. Leslie J. Anderson's writing has appeared in Asimov's Strange Horizons, Apex, Pseudopod, and Daily Science Fiction, just to name a few. Her work has been nominated for a Pushcart Prize and a Riesling Award. Her collection of poetry, An Inheritance of Stone, was nominated for an Elgin Award. She lives in a white house beside a cemetery with her husband and three dogs. If you'd like to hear your work featured in a Hidden Lore segment, head on over to the About section of CryptoNaturalist.com for writer's guidelines. 
I slipped into my rain gear, swallowed an anti-lightning pill, and stepped out into the driving rain. The bourbon taste of the lightning pill mixed with the plasticky smell of my rain gear brought back a whole tapestry of sensory memories from decades upon decades of life as a rain-drenched walker of the wilds. I grinned at the way a scent or a taste can ambush us with unexpected associations and pressed my way through the dripping pines. I imagine it felt something like walking through an automatic car wash, the pine needles brushing my cheeks and whispering against my shoulders. I had consulted my handy, paradoxical, unmapped Roads of America atlas before leaving Cassandra, and I was reasonably confident that the slope I was climbing ended in a plateau occupied by a large lake basin. Turns out, the atlas steered me right. Unmapped roads are always the most trustworthy. I crested the lip of the plateau, more than a little winded and sweating to a degree that made my waterproof rain gear a moot point. A bit of scouting and I found a tall mountain hemlock with a sturdy build, rich green foliage, and cones the deep burgundy of a fine wine. I climbed the tree using a technique taught to me by a former Cirque du Soleil acrobat and renowned tyromancer, you can probably guess who I mean, and I found myself looking out at a breathtaking vista veiled by sheets of silvery rain. Now, orbital kingfishers are known to have a crepuscular streak, so I settled in and waited for dusk to approach, when the kingfisher would be more active. As I waited, I reflected on what I knew of the orbital kingfisher. I only knew one crypto-naturalist who had ever seen the bird in person, and her experience was a bit harrowing. Laksha Patel, a fine colleague of mine, once recounted to me the story of her encounter with the cosmic predator. She had situated herself in a subalpine fir tree and waited near a mountain lake only a couple of hundred miles from my current location. Fortunately, she was able to see the kingfisher. Unfortunately, when it dove, it dove for her, swallowing her whole. The bird digested her and excreted her in the space of a few terrifying, claustrophobic moments, and she found herself tumbling back to earth to fall unharmed in a nearby lake. The orbital kingfisher didn't digest her flesh. Rather, it digested something less tangible. Down in the inscrutable gullet of that thing, Laksha lost her appreciation for her favorite musician, which happened to be Dolly Parton. Somehow, the creature gained nourishment from metabolizing a small facet of Laksha's personality. She confided in me later that... There are days she wishes the creature would have taken something a little more mundane, like a foot or an ear. I thought about Loksha's story as I waited and wondered if I should have done a bit more to disguise my position. Ah well, regrets are like interdimensional parasites. We've all got them and it doesn't bear further consideration. I sang while I waited passing the time in a swaying treetop beneath an angry sky. Jolene, 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 yeah, I'm begging of you, please don't take my man.
The wait was not long. I saw the kingfisher before I heard it, rocketing through the atmosphere like a comet, leaving in its wake odd concentric circles of bluish vapor that hung in the sky like alien outriders from the churning thunderheads. The sonic boom of the bird's passing hit me just as I saw the creature strike the water like a thunderbolt. I barely had time to register a body like prismatic glass and wings like blades of violet light. White foam leapt higher than the surrounding treetops, and a wave of force caused me to cling for dear life to the trunk of my hemlock. The tree continued to rock violently, and it was still bucking like a spooked horse when the orbital kingfisher surfaced with its prize. I only glimpsed the thing it held in its sofa-sized beak for a moment before the kingfisher beat the air once and shot skyward in a motion that mocked everything I thought I knew about the physics of flight. A kingfisher's meal writhed and buzzed like a live wire. It was shaped a little like a question mark, except everywhere I looked to try to see a patch of fur or scales, all I saw was another gaping mouth, another questing tongue. Later, I tried to sketch a thing that was more mouth than body in my notebook, but when I tried to conceive of it in three dimensions, all I got was a nosebleed for my trouble. My experience with the orbital kingfisher was a country mile away from the trouble Laksha faced, but I wouldn't exactly say it was comfortable either. Still, if I were to write down ten virtues of my ideal day, I doubt that comfortable would make the list. And in seeing that great space-faring bird, I felt myself a bit more connected to the great beyond. The venerable naturalist and nature lover John Muir once wrote, Every bird song, wind song, and tremendous storm song of the rocks in the heart of the mountains is our song our very own, and sings of our love. To be in love with a thing that is somehow immense beyond reckoning and yet as intimate as the sound of your own heartbeat and the silence beneath a mountain lake is the very soul of what it is to treasure the natural world. Until next time, remember, we're all strange animals, so act like it. Naturalist is written and read by Jared Anderson. To send questions, poems, or short prose pieces for the Hidden Lore segment, email cryptonaturalistpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Banish Misfortune, played by Andrew Collins. For more information about Andrew's music, visit andrewcollinstrio.com. Stay curious, stay wild, stay weird.